Well, if you were with us this last week, first of all, my name is Chad and I'm one of the pastors here. It's really great to welcome you and to be in God's presence together. Uh, last week, we obviously celebrated the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And in the, uh, in the church globally, Easter is supposed to last, it's, it's a feast that lasts four weeks. So can we at least talk about the implications for resurrection for four weeks? If you agree, say amen. Like we said when I kicked off the service, he didn't just, he didn't just, uh, we don't just celebrate it once a year. It's sort of the reason why we celebrate every day and every weekend. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 20. We're just going to walk through a very, very familiar passage, a beautiful passage, amazing story. I think some profound implications for us this morning. John 20, the, the context in John 20, 1 through 18 is Jesus has been raised from the dead and the, the Father has vindicated the death of His Son and the first arrivers to the tomb find that there's clothes that are there folded at the head and at the feet and the angels are at the head and the feet. They're saying, who are you looking for? <laughs> and I love Luke's account. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Come on, someone say amen to that. And then Mary mistakes Jesus for a gardener. If you took his body, just tell me where and I'll go take him. As if this little, I don't know how little or big Mary is, and I'm not saying that she couldn't have picked up the, the carcass of Jesus if she thought he was really still dead. But you see her zeal to want to touch and to see and minister to Jesus, even in death. And after Mary mistakes Jesus for a gardener, he shocks her by saying, Mary. I remember every year during this season, I love to read the gospel accounts, but I remember one year in particular, I was in my living room, and I'm reading the account according to St. John, and when I read her name, Mary, just goosebumps. Which is to say, no matter how futile our seeking feels to us or how weak or insignificant that there's one on the other side of our seeking who knows her name and all of our frantic worrying and where'd you place him and in all of our busyness there's one whose tender voice pierces through all of that and he calls us by name did you know that God knows your name today and then Mary grasps Jesus and Jesus is like, stop clinging to me. You can't keep the good news of my resurrection to yourself. Go tell all my boys, my disciples. And the very first apostolic messenger, the sent one, was Mary to the disciples. I've seen the Lord. He's not dead. He's alive. Later that evening, after resurrection morning, the context of our passage is the disciples are gathered in a room, shaking in their boots. Who has ever found themselves in a room with a door locked, shaking in fear? For whatever reason, you can identify with this story. The obvious logic goes like this. If they killed him, and they find out we were associated with him, what might they do to us? Everyone shake your head at me if you understand the legitimate reason to be locked behind closed doors. 
And that's where we pick up our story in our passage. So John chapter 20, it says this. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The evening of Easter morning, they're locked up. The title of the talk is, As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And we find them behind closed doors, as we already shared, for legitimate reasons. But what is fascinating about Jesus and his glorified body is that locked doors do not seem to bother or impede his ability to show up in our midst. We might say gospel point number one, because of the resurrection, Jesus is on the loose. Because of the resurrection, I've been there in Israel to what they think is the garden tomb, and there's nothing in there except for a bunch of tourists getting really crummy pictures because it's pitch dark. If I was a good preacher, I would have had a picture there because I have pictures of it, don't have it. And it's interesting that the message Jesus gives this fearful crew is the message of peace be with you. The Hebrew word shalom. Everyone say shalom. Come on, Aaron. Shalom. And if you were with us, gosh, months ago, we did a whole series on shalom, so go look at our podcast or whatever. But to summarize what shalom or peace is, we could say this. Shalom represents the entire aim and intention of God for humanity and all of creation to flourish and thrive in proper relationship to him with themselves and with each other. This is shalom. One theologian said shalom really is probably the idea throughout Scripture. God wants his image bearers and he wants his creation to be right, to be whole, to be well. Who could use a little shalom to your dome this morning? And I want to say that the context of which he announces peace is not some petri dish, some greenhouse with perfect scenario and humidity. It is a room of fearful, may I say, cowardly men and women, most of whom all abandon Jesus. I want to say to you, the context for peace is right in the midst of your fear. The context for God's wholeness and wellness and flourishing is not for you to go figure out how to put yourself together. It's to find yourself confronted with the reality of the one who is peace. How many are thankful that his peace has a way to get through our locked doors? His wholeness and his intention to bless and restore and heal 
Even a locked door can't keep the resurrected Jesus out. And why does he announce peace? John, throughout John 20, I can't go into all of it, it's stunning. From John 1 to John 20, it's no mistaking it that the context for resurrection is in a garden. Does anyone else remember a big time story in the Bible that involved a garden? And what was the result of the image-bearing Adam and Eve when they rebelled and committed treason against God? What was their propensity, their bent, their trigger response when they heard the sound of the Lord walking? They heard the sound of the Lord, His voice, walking in the garden, evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Who's ever been there? In your shame, you felt unworthy to be in the presence of God. In your guilt. In your brokenness. The thought of a holy God coming near you scares you to no end. I propose that the one thing that Adam and Eve, the one thing that was to mark their greatest joy and delight was the presence and proximity of God. But because of sin, the very thing that was to be the the dynamic center of their joy became the biggest dread and fear of their hearts. How many know sin stinks? I was going to say another word, but... The one thing that was to be their greatest joy, the unbridled, unhindered fellowship between God and humanity, because of sin and its effect in the human heart and in all of creation and our minds and our bodies and our relationships, yea, even with creation itself, the one thing that was to be our greatest joy becomes our greatest fear because now we're aware of our lack and our inadequacy to cover our own messes. But Jesus, John wants us to think about this passage. The original humans to hide from God. And it's as if God is saying, I'm doing something new and totally surprising through my son, Jesus Christ. Where humans used to want to hide in their shame and play the blame game because of their guilt and sin, I'm going to show up in their locked doors and say, come out of hiding, peace be with you. Jesus comes to his disciples in a locked door and he announces peace not once, but two times. After this, after what? Announcing peace, he shows them his hands and his side. And when the disciples saw the Lord, they rejoiced. How many of you know that the peace that Jesus longs to give us was immensely costly to his own life how many know peace ain't cheap and he shows them the price of the peace he's breathing on them by showing them his wounds and scars and affliction the most fam- i remember memorizing this in way back in bible college let's read it together isaiah 53 Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. 
Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Jesus shows, He announces first, and then He does show and tell. This was the cost for you to be made right with the Father. This was the cost so that you could finally and definitively cast your fig leaves aside. You don't have to hide in shame any longer. You can come into the light and be healed from your sin. This was the price. The price paid through my wounds and scars and punishment that I bore in my body. The number one commentary on Isaiah, I looked it up and I own it, it's amazing. They say of this passage, the commentator, the effect in the Savior is the measure of how seriously God takes our rebellion and crookedness. Did you know sin is serious? Did you know when you play with sin and you mistake it for its destructive nature, you usually get burned? We typically wish to make light of our shortcomings and try to explain away our mistakes. We won't even call it sin. But God will have none of it. The refusal of humanity to bow to the Creator's rule and our insistence on drawing up our own moral codes that pander to our lusts are not shortcomings or mistakes. Come on, someone say, it's sin. Call it what it is. And what is sin? The commentator goes on. It's brilliant. It's the stuff of death and corruption. And unless someone can be found to stand in our place, they will see us impaled on the swords of our own making and broken on the racks of our own design. How many know sin is destructive and harmful, not just to others, but to ourselves? Who's experienced the destructive nature of sin? Someone has to step in. The commentator goes on. But someone has been found. Someone who has taken on himself the result of our rebelliousness, and he's given us the keys of the kingdom. Remember last week we talked about the key, the cross that opens our door so that the flood of God's resurrection life can come breaking in. There's one who stood in the gap. And Jesus, showing the boys his wounds, is saying, this is what peace cost me. But it was worth it to pay for you. What the servant does in bearing the undeserved results of his people's sins is he brings positive results for his people. He's not merely participating in their suffering. He's bearing it away for them so that they may not labor under its effects anymore. Come on. He took the punishment that made it possible for us to have well-being or shalom. And he's taken the inflicted welts so that our bodies could be healed. Beloved, he didn't just deal with sin, he took it away. And for those of us who find ourselves still locked in destructive patterns... 
still motivated by fear of exposure, still walking in some level of disobedience or rebellion, I want you to know the servant has dealt with sin and if you will trust him, he will take you on a journey towards freedom. He will meet you in that place of being locked up and if you will let him announce and if you let him address those issues in your heart and you go on a journey with him step and step in his grace and his truth, you will discover freedom because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Peter tells us that the whole point Jesus suffered was so that the right for the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Do you see it, beloved? Do you see the good news this morning? The peace and the shalom, the wholeness and the fullness, all of God's intention for you and for your neighbor and for all of creation. Jesus has the authority by virtue of his death, resurrection, and glory to announce God's intended purposes for people. He has the authority to, no matter what we feel on the inside, His Word carries greater weight and power than our little small tiny thoughts of self-condemnation and guilt. I want you to know His voice and His Word of declaration, your situation stands no match for reality as Jesus sees it. And this is why they rejoice. Come on, someone say, I'm going to rejoice today because I'm going to receive that peace. Then Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Aren't you thankful that Jesus knows we're slow and hard-headed, so he just tells us again? How many need to be told again? And then again. And then again. Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. God is saying through his son that a whole new world has been opened up through Jesus. A whole new way to flourish. A whole new way to experience deliverance and freedom from our fear is now presently available through the peace and the presence of Jesus. The Father sent His Son to restore and to reconcile humanity to God. Our passage seems to indicate that the Son wants to send His disciples to be agents of the same reconciling love. Did you know that what God does in you is never supposed to be the end of the story? What God does in you, he now wants to do through you in the lives of those who are also ravished by the reality of sin. Come on, someone say it. What he does in me, he now wants to do through me. And so as the Father sent me to restore the world, to bear sin, to take the punishment, to stand in the gap, to destroy sin, hell, death, and the grave through my cross and to vindicate that victory by being raised from the dead. Now, as the Father sent me, guys, I am going to send you out to continue my ministry and my mission. Did you know 
that the church and the disciples, they don't start a new ministry. They continue the ministry Jesus began. So everything we see Jesus doing in His healing and His, His restoring and eating with those who don't deserve to be ate with. Come on, that's you and me. The welcoming, the hospitality, the spending time with the, the, the losers, the lowlifes, those who don't deserve it, who could never pay to get at the big boy or big girl table. Jesus started His ministry and then He passes His ministry on to us. Not in the way of like, hey, good luck with that. <laughs> Come on, how many know that would not be the gospel or good news? But Jesus always ties our vocation or our ministry and mission to His dynamic, ongoing, abiding, and empowering presence. Come on, someone say, He never gives me a mission without promising His presence. I don't want no mission without His presence. Because that mission will fail. But the last I checked, we serve the God, and the God that we serve is the conquering, reigning, ruling Lord of all of creation. And He wants to lead us, 2 Corinthians 2, 14, as captives to His perpetual victory. I love the language. How many want to be a captive to victory? <laughs> I'll take a life sentence of that. <laughs> Chain me up, Jesus, to your victory. As Jesus is defined by His mission of the Father to restore the world, the church is now defined by her relationship to Jesus and the continuation of His ministry. Did you know you have a ministry? Not in the sense of I need to go get a business card and be a ministry. But did you know that if you're a disciple, if you are one who has said yes to the lifelong class of apprenticing your life after Jesus, you are in the ministry. Do you want to know what makes Christianity unique in all of the world religions? Every single Christian who is in Christ is a priest. Not the white-collar kind, but the kind that has access through the blood of Jesus to come right into the presence of God, to experience His presence and His glory and His beauty, and then to go out and mediate that glory and power and presence everywhere we go. You're a priest. We do it not in our own strength, thanks be to God, but in the power of His Spirit. Did you know that Jesus prayed that you and I would experience the commissioning of our lives for a purpose that transcends the bottom line in our bank account? Did you know you and I have eternal purpose because we are invited to be in relationship with the God of all creation? Jesus prays for his disciples that now he commissions them Right before the cross, they're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Father, sanctify them in the truth. What does sanctify mean? Someone help me out. Set apart, or to, it's another word, consecrate. 
or cleanse or set apart for sacred use? Did you know that Jesus wants to sanctify you so that your whole life is a manifestation of his holy purpose on the earth? Which part? Just the part where I'm praying and doing spiritual stuff? Eh, every part. Come on, someone say he wants to fill every part with his holy purposes. In God's perspective, there are not compartments to your life. He wants to fill all of your life with his power and his presence and his peace. As you sent me into the world, Father, I am sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And beloved, I want to say to you that Jesus will not send us to fulfill our vocation, to fulfill his mission without stuffing us with his presence. When the advocate comes, the spirit, I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, the spirit will testify about me. And you also must testify for you've been with me from the beginning. One of the things in the church where we get into all sorts of fights is we all argue about how do you know if someone is filled with the Spirit? I don't want to talk about that right now because Pentecost is coming and we're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit. It's going to be amazing. But where did we lose the like point-blank easy answer that evidence of being filled with the Spirit is that you talk about the things the Spirit talks about? And Jesus said the Spirit is talking about Him. And if you and I claim to be filled and super-duper spiritual and we went to the classes and we graduated, but our language never testifies to the one the Spirit is always testifying to, I question the validity of our claim to be filled with the Spirit of truth. Let's move on because that's convicting. I don't want to talk about that. I am contending that central evidence to being filled with the Spirit of God is to regularly express by our lifestyle, by our attitudes and our words and our deeds, the reality to which the Spirit always points, which is the reality of Jesus. Okay, that's good theology. And there's more in John 16. Don't have time. Thank you. Jesus wants to fill his disciples with his spirit so that his disciples won't have to work up some fake plastic good news, but their hearts will be transformed by the spirit of Christ and they'll want to begin to speak of the most central thing about their fundamental identity, which is I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And when he said this, he breathed on them. We have to assume he had resurrection breath. I don't know what breath tastes like if you've been dead for three days and now raised. He breathed on them and he said what? Work up for the Holy Spirit. Try it. Receive the Holy Spirit. What's John doing? He's super brilliant. We're back in the garden. Where else do we see God breathing on something and animating it with his life? 
Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. When we see Jesus breathing on his disciples in the upper room, he's saying, new creation is not just some future deferred hope. It's breaking in right here, right now. (sighs) What does that mean? You can have a new story before your story's even over. Come on, somebody. He can breathe on your life. And what was dead can come to life. What was bound and broken can become beautiful and filled with his life. Jesus is functioning as the king and creator of God's new creation. The new creation that broke out of the empty tomb and that continues to move all over the earth through the power and presence of Jesus Christ. This is God saying new humanity is being formed and filled around Jesus and his Holy Spirit. Did you know that it's kind of all about Jesus? (laughs) They rejoiced when they saw him. And when Jesus saw them, he knew you guys are going to need to be filled with me. Because pre-breath of the Holy Spirit, y'all denied me. Y'all kind of missed it. You wanted to call down fire on the weird people that didn't quite agree with our theology. You wanted to sort of like fight for the position of who's going to rule in my messianic kingdom. You kind of had a way of turning away kids when I wanted to bless them and give them the kingdom. How many know we need the Holy Spirit to straighten us out? We need the Spirit of Jesus to come and to penetrate our deepest fears and to fill us with tenacity and boldness and confidence. These disciples were fearful, and rightfully so. God knows what the Romans could have done or the Jewish leaders that could find their address. But Jesus says, where your fear is loud and where your fear keeps you bound, I want to pour out a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind on your life. I want you to walk in fearless abandon to me and my purposes. Jesus breathes on the disciples. And friends, Jesus wants to breathe on you and me today. And then he says this, that's kind of a little tricky, but I'll explain it. This is our last, really last verse. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are restrained. Is that confusing a little to anybody? Some people have taken this weird ways. I did a little bit of studying on it. It seems that central to the mission and ministry of these now spirit-breathed disciples is that they're to go out and announce that the world that has been stuck in its sin, that there's a new way forward called forgiveness. How many are thankful today for the forgiveness of sins? One theologian brilliantly says this, this is God calling humanity stuck in exile to come home. Why did Israel find themselves in Egypt? 
They didn't make a bad choice. Remember, God raised up Joseph and then later he raised up Moses. Then he delivered them. But why did they find themselves in exile? Because of their sin. The problem of Exodus is I need a deliverer, a savior. The problem of exile, being cast from my home and my rightful place, is the problem of forgiveness. So when he's saying forgiveness, he's saying to a world estranged from God, from themselves and from me, the world that is far from home, if you pronounce and announce forgiveness, they can come home to me again. Forgiveness has to do with the return from exile, being cast out because of your sin. God is saying through Jesus, those who've been cast aside are now invited back into the family and into the house the Father. And the way the disciples will forgive the sins and retain the sins is by preaching the good news and declaring its effect. If you believe the good news, what do you receive? If you reject the good news, what do you receive? No forgiveness. All who proclaim the gospel are in effect forgiving or not forgiving sins depending on whether or not the hearers accept or reject Jesus as God's sin bearer. And I want to say the good news of Easter week number two. You do not have to live under the tyranny and slavery and power of sin any longer. Slightly good news. You are forgiven in Jesus. You can come home. Your estrangement. You can come home. In your fear, in your uncleanliness, in your shame, in your years of believing the story that you're worthless or you are a throwaway, the Father is saying through His Son and now through the ministry of the church powered by the Spirit, you are forgiven should you receive the good news of Jesus. And you can receive the Spirit just like you breathe in and you breathe out. He's that close, friends. He's here. To reject Jesus is to reject forgiveness. We don't have to browbeat people in our evangelism. Are you kidding me? People are already browbeaten enough. Do you know anyone who's bloodied by the reality of life? By the reality of their sin? Does anyone see the the colleague at work, the neighbor on your street, that when they talk, they just spew the reality of a life that's jacked up because of sin? But did you know we can announce in that place that you can come home, sir? You can come home, man. You can be forgiven and brought back into relationship. The God who announces peace is the one who is able to bring peace to bear. You're forgiven. Jesus doesn't need to condemn. In fact, he said his ministry was to come into the world to save it. Who's thankful that he really was good at ministry? (laughs) Jesus wants the life of his Father to fill every person in the planet. But here's the problem. Not everyone was in that room with those scared disciples who got to see Jesus. How many know there's a whole bunch of people who are locked behind doors in fear? Who do you think God might want to send them? 
How did the passage start? As the Father sent me. Guys, I want to send you. Do I need to go to seminary first? If you want, you don't need to. Receive the Holy Spirit. Become a lifelong student of Jesus. Start abiding in his word and fellowshipping in his family called the church. That confidence will grow. Go in the truth that you know and the light that you know and the life that you have in Jesus. You don't have to know A from Z. At least you know A. And A is that it's all about Jesus always. That's good right there. That was an accident. A is that it's all about Jesus always. And abiding. That's also A. I like A. That's just A. What's B? Believe, become, belong. All right, let's go. <laughs> There's a world out there stuck in darkness. But beloved, we have the remedy in Jesus. Why are they staying in darkness? Because both they love it and they're afraid of what exposure will mean. Because the world and the devil wants the world to have a vision of God that he sold the first couple in the garden. And that's God's mean and he's holding out on you. And then if you really trust him, life diminishes, not explodes and expands in fullness. So they're afraid because they're afraid their deeds will mean the demise of their life. They need a revelation that there is a suffering servant who has once and for all broken into history and dealt with their sin. And now he wants to give them a new story and a new life. People are in fear, but that's why you and I exist to know Jesus and then to make him known our message is simple come out of the shadows of your sin and out of your shame and receive the free gift of forgiveness in Jesus I know it's super complicated it's super we need to go to a bunch of classes and learn a bunch of facts or we can just Announce the simple, pure, beautiful gospel. <laughs> That's anything but cheap. It costs the Son everything. So that everywhere we go, as the Father sent me, Jesus, now I, Jesus, send my church to continue my ministry. Everywhere you go, where people love darkness and they're bound to darkness, you can announce that there's another way forward called the way of Jesus and the way of forgiveness. All right, let's get to the end. Jesus began the mission, and now he sends his disciples, you and me, if you're in Christ, to continue his ministry. And when he sends us, we'll stumble and fall and fail, and our ministry will be terrible. And what did he say? You're going to do greater things than I did, yo. Because now, because now, I'm not just located in my incarnate body as the resurrected, ascended Lord. Now I've got the highest position in all the cosmos. And now I can live as a chief high priest interceding that anywhere I see my global church needing strength or hope or help or power, I know exactly where to send it because I can see everything. You see... We don't just limp in our ministry. He wants to stuff our lives with His very life and power and grace. Oh, this is good stinking news. I'm happy today. You will do greater things than me. That's kind of cool. All right, here's the end. Have you received the God's life-giving spirit? How do I? 
<sighs> you receive it. He wants to give his spirit more than we could ever ask, long ache, or, or desire it. Why? Because God is just dead set on bringing life to bear on his world and to his people. Have you received the spirit? A couple more questions. Do you have peace with God? Or is the thought of God walking in the cool of the day, showing up at your house at 12 o'clock on Saturday night, scare you to death? Sorry if I just called some of you out. I want you to know you don't have to be afraid of God. Yes, be in awe of God, but he wants to come as a tender father. And he wants to help you remove the coverings, the counterfeit coverings. He wants you to be exposed before him so that he can heal all of you. (laughs) How many know he doesn't want to do a partial operation? He wants new creation. You gotta expose yourself. Not and you expose yourself. You don't have to fear a God with a grimace and a growl, but a smile and a loving hug to say, Oh, come on. You can have peace. Oh, this is good news. This is Easter news. Do you believe that through Jesus all of your sins have been forgiven? Not in theory. Don't give me the theory garbage. Do you live with the revelation that you are free from your sin? That you have been pardoned? You've been forgiven? Are you locked behind doors in fear? Just simple questions that could change your life. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus, in sharing in our humanity, has destroyed the power of death. Death doesn't have to be your master. Jesus can be. He can be your Lord. Jesus has come to liberate us from the crippling power of fear. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, and if you want to believe that forgiveness is for you, if you want to believe that peace is for you, could you just quietly stand to your feet as we close this morning? If that's you, if you want that, to receive just a fresh breath of the Holy Spirit, could you stand? Awesome. Yeah, that's a pretty decent offer (laughs) to be forgiven and filled. (laughs) What I want you to do, how many know God gave you a mind and imagination for a reason? I want you to picture yourself in your mind's eye in uh, in that room in a door that's locked, and I want you to envision Jesus just breaking through the door. Right now, close your eyes. Picture yourself. Here I am full of fear, probably full of regret because we denied you, probably full of shame because we said we wouldn't, but we did it anyway. Imagine Jesus coming to you in all of your regrets and all of your shame and all of your sin, and he shows up, and his first thing is not, hey, let me tell you the 50 ways you stink and you blew it, but his message from the get-go is peace. (laughs) 
And can you, in your, in your spirit, just in your heart, just say, I receive the Holy Spirit today. I receive the forgiveness of Jesus today. You don't have to work it up. It's not some mental game. It's a posture of yes. Receive the Holy Spirit. And just say in your spirit, Jesus, through you, all of my sin is forgiven. I turn from it so I can receive your life. And I just believe that if there's doors of fear that you're hidden behind, just stick out your hand and Jesus says, I want to give you the keys of my kingdom because you're my son or my daughter. Let's go on a journey of freedom from fear today. Just receive that key of his kingdom. And just say, Jesus, today I believe that there is freedom from fear readily available through your presence and power. And Lord, just as the pastor of this place, I say the words of Jesus to this flock over my life and our lives. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the energizing, empowering presence of God. I want everyone to look at me. And I want you to ask and answer this question as you go in a minute. 30 seconds. Where do you believe? Help me out, Justin. It's not going forward now. Perfect timing. Where do you believe Jesus is sending you this week? Just give me some answers. Where is he sending you? Go. Workplace. Mission. Where else? Family. Where else? Kingdom. Where is he sending you? Senior care. Thank you for being specific. Because if we don't get specific, we'll think, oh, it's just I'm being sent when I go do missionary stuff. You're always in ministry on mission in Jesus. Where else is he sending you? Come on, someone be specific. The world, marketplace, my children, my family, youth ministry. Beloved, what if we began to live with the reality that everywhere we go, we're actually being sent by God? Did you know that's actually true? And then who can you announce and embody forgiveness to this week? Receive the Spirit. Father, I pray that you would send us, that we would chew on this passage all week and think about the God who comes to us in our fear and he announces another way, the way of peace, the way of his presence, the way of purpose and mission. Lord, would you send our body into our families, our friendships, our places of influence, our work, Send us as those who have been marked as missionaries for the purposes of God to announce and embody the forgiveness and freedom and fullness of Jesus that is readily available for all who will receive it. God, send us now on the balls of our feet, expectant and excited that you're going to show up a new 
in somewhat mundane ways, but you're gonna give us eyes to see it because we're filled with the Spirit. In Jesus' name we prayed, amen and amen. I love you guys. Peace be with you. Have a great week.